Hey everybody, welcome back to the Living With Power Hope Podcast. I'm Lena Bajemra, your host. I run a ministry called Living With Power. You can find out about it at livingwithpower.org. We are doing a series called Dear Lena, and uh, this series is called the Bread and Butter Series. Let me give you a little orientation in case you're new to this podcast. I uh, answer your questions. Uh, that's why it's called Dear Lena, and you can send your questions to dearlena at livingwithpower.org. We hit topics that have to do with faith, life, and culture, uh, really trying to help out believers, followers of Jesus living in a post-Christian culture. How do we do it? How do we live this Christian life? And uh, uh, the Bread and Butter series is because uh, these topics that I'm going to be discussing in these 10 weeks are the bread and butter of Christianity. They're basic. Some of you know them, but I'm organizing them in thought and in, or, and in uh, sort of process, and maybe you don't know them. Maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you do not grow up in a home that taught these things or in a church that taught them. And so let's learn them together based on what God has taught us in his word. And so with that in mind, I hope that you have been here before. And if you haven't, welcome. I don't know how you landed here, but I know that God has allowed you to do so for a reason. And so today's Dear Lena question is this. Dear Lena, why can't I overcome sin in my life? This is a very common question that Christians ask themselves. In fact, it is such an important question that I took a chapter out of my most recent book. Uh, My most recent book is called Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. If you haven't bought it, you should. If you need a free copy, maybe you're in a season, you just can't get to an Amazon bookstore on the website. I'm half sarcastic, half not, but we would love to gift it to you. So send me an email at dearlena at livingwithpower.org. But regardless... Uh, I spend an entire chapter on how deconstruction connects with this concept of why can't I overcome sin in my life. And so I thought I'd take just 15 minutes of your time, give you three bullet points uh, on some ideas here as to why you might be following Jesus. Maybe you have a desire to stop sinning, but you just are stuck. And um, here are three thoughts. And I I say them with gentleness and compassion, uh, but they might be hard to hear. Here's the first. I cannot overcome sin in my life because I don't really want to. Now, I'm going to tell you this uh, more out of personal experience even than, than, than to preach at you. I have found that in my life, in the seasons when I have not been able to come, overcome sin in my life, it's because I deep down don't really want to. We make an effort. We make the changes to what we really want to do. The same can be applied to many other, probably the easiest analogy would be weight loss. People say they want to lose weight. lose weight. They sort of do, but not really. Because if you really want to, you make a change. And there's a billion, bazillion dollar industry on weight loss. And listen, most people who start that road jump off the wagon, but many have intentionally said, no, I'm not going to jump off the wagon and have committed to lose weight and have stopped eating and have turned into the foods that are healthy and have noticed the weight changes, right? I mean, we know that this isn't rocket science. I believe the same is true about sin. I think many of us say we want to stop sinning, but deep down, there's a reason. We'll get to the reason in a minute, but, 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 but deep down, we don't really want to stop sinning. Uh, the problem with that lifestyle is that sin always makes promises to us that it cannot keep, that sin cannot keep. So we approach sin and we, we believe the promise that sin makes, but we're always disappointed because what it promises, it does not deliver. And the pain that comes with sin is so far greater uh, for everybody, but particularly for the follower of Jesus who knows better. Now, much has been written about this relationship of the Christian and sin in the writings of Paul. I've, I, the last uh, episode, we talked a bit about Romans 6 and um, 7, but but Romans 5, by the way, is an essential chapter that talks about you know, sort of what it means to be saved. And then Romans 6, uh, it moves into, so, so Romans 5 ends with this concept of where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So, so you got a lot of sin, you got a lot of grace. So that's reassuring. Most people will be like, well, great, then I can just sin and God's going to give me more grace. 
Uh, he, th that is what Paul assumes you're going to think. So that in chapter six, verse one, he writes, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. I grew up in the King James version of the Bible. It says, God forbid, God forbid. We don't want to take advantage of grace. That cheapens grace. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote much about that. And we don't want to cheapen grace. Why? Because grace is what happened at the cross. Christ took our punishment on his body. We don't want to, 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 to I mean, the, he already died for our sins. We have to, an acknowledgement of what happened on the cross would, any Christian who acknowledges that reality of Christ's death on the cross would say, man, I don't want to have to, to, put Christ through that again because of willful sin. You know, again, granted, you're not, he's not going to the cross again, but you understand what I'm trying to say here. And so Paul goes on, by the way, in Romans chapter six, where he writes a lot about this relationship with the old self that was crucified. He says in verse six, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Um, he says in verse eight, now if we have died to Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Uh, in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And then he says, for sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. This goes on. This language goes on. And really what Paul is doing is beefing up our, our understanding that we don't have to live in sin. So that if we're living in persistent sin, one of the reasons why we can't overcome sin is if we don't really want to. We don't believe it. We don't really think about it. And we just assume we're going to get away with it. And the truth is, if you're listening to this, and you are in your home, you probably are getting away with it. And God's given you mercy so far, saying, come on, change, change, change. Now ask anyone who's eventually suffered the severe consequences of sin, and they'll tell you, man, it wasn't worth it. Because, and many have written about it. They've lost families, they've lost their freedom. Some have ended in jail their whole life. And they, it wasn't worth it. I wish I listened to it. No pastor who has, who has been busted for a habit of sin has ever said, man, it was worth it. I really enjoyed that. And, and I'm picking on pastors, but, but that can be said of anyone. No, on the contrary, there's, there's a deep sense of regret when you get to that place where you're like, man, it wasn't worth it. The problem with sin is that it does feel good for a season. If you are running towards your sin to whatever reason you're, you're running towards it, listen, you might even disagree with me as I say that it doesn't give you what's promised because you might be like, no, it is offering me what's promised. I am happy for, with the effects of sin in, in the season of my life. Listen, you, the season will end. It will come to an end and you will live to regret it. The problem with sin is that it blinds you to its consequences. You think no one will find out. You think you're going to get away with it. You think you're going to be happy for the long run. Adam and Eve exemplified that in the Garden of Eden. They didn't think that they were going to lose everything. And yet in the aftermath of their sin, they hid. And then they were let go from the Garden of Eden. Not forever. God, I believe, restored Adam and Eve. He symbolizes it by killing an animal and giving them the skin of the animal to dress them. And, and he actually says that he gets them, invites them out of the Garden of Eden in order that they don't eat the tree of life that allows them to live forever in the state of sinfulness. And he gave them a chance to come back into reconciliation with himself through his son Jesus that was promised to come later on in life. And so, so God's heart for us is to be free of sin. But the problem with sin is that it blinds us to, our, to the consequences. We think it's just a fruit. It won't matter. It's a small thing in the big picture. Listen, you're wrong. You're wrong. It is not a small thing. It is a destructive thing. The problem with sin is that it fools you into thinking that without it, you won't be happy. If you are living with a pattern of persistent sin in your life, that thing that you think will make you happy is 
an idol in your life. If you've ever wondered, what do Christians mean when they talk about an idol in my life? It is that which you think you cannot live without. Without this thing, I cannot be happy. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it is food. Maybe it is an exercise habit. Doesn't even have to be a bad thing. If you think you need it to be happy, that has become an idol in your life. I love what John Piper says about sin. He says, we don't sin out of duty. Nobody ever sinned out of duty. We sin out of pleasure. And so later, you know, he goes on, of course, and his, he's, his whole life has been given towards explaining to Christians that the way to overcome sin is with a greater pleasure because the problem of sin is that it hits on our pleasures. It, it makes us feel like we won't be happy without it. So if you cannot overcome sin in your life, I want to challenge you to think, do you really want to? Because if you do, you'll make a way, you'll, you'll submit to God's way, but, but you might have not gotten to the place where you are convinced uh, that you really want to stop sinning. So that's a challenging thought because now you got to go back to, do you know you're saved? Have you been transformed by Christ? Do you have his holy nature living in you? And so those are tough questions that only you can answer. Here's a second idea. Why can't I overcome sin in my life? Number two, I cannot overcome sin in my life because I have yet to be honest about the reason that I sin. If you are living a pattern of sin, maybe you're not being honest about what's underneath. I think most of us think we sin for one reason, but really it's a deeper reason. I've read a lot of uh, stuff about uh, specifically pornography and our addiction to pornography and, and, um, and one guy, now I'll have to remember and put in the sermon, in the podcast notes, uh, his name, Jay something, I believe, but he wrote an immensely great book on this topic. And he talks a lot about that, that people who are in bondage to pornography, is not, it's not just the sexual images, it's not just the desire for a release in the moment, but it is a deeper a sin that can be tracked into, you know, whatever woundedness that happened in our life before. And that's not to excuse the sin, but it's to understand it. Because a lot of us are trying to deal with sin on a superficial fashion. But again, this is like when I taught on a series uh, that will be that will be running on the podcast called I Feel That. If you have listened to that series that I taught, it's a Bible teaching that I did on our negative emotions. I, I made the point with negative emotions to undermine this idea that, that our negative emotions are always triggered by a deeper reason. We're never angry about the thing we're angry about. I believe the same about sin. We never sin just for the actual sin. Uh, you know, most people don't, you know, get, you know, shoot up because of their love for heroin. Now it can become addictive, but the problem isn't the heroin. It's what's beneath what drove you to go to heroin in the first place. Obviously that's a very dramatic illustration. Porn might be much closer to home since I think over whatever, 90% of men in the church are into porn and a huge number of women as well. And so you think about that and you think porn, the, the, the phone or the computer is not the problem. It's what is it that's driving you to sin? And in order for us to overcome sin in our life, when you ask about why can't I overcome sin in my life, maybe you haven't done the work to be honest about the reason you sin. And, and by the way, you might need therapy in order to get to that. Sometimes those reasons are hidden. Sometimes they're complex. You might have grown up in an abusive home. Maybe you saw things in your childhood that you were not meant to see. But whatever it is, maybe currently you're trying to numb a pain in your life. Maybe somebody hurt you as an adult. Maybe you were married or in a relationship and it blew up in your face. Or maybe you were hurt by the church. I've written about that. But whatever cause, what is the real reason that you said? Maybe you feel utterly disappointed by the life, the life that you're living. You never thought, maybe your disappointment is with God. Maybe you never thought that God would leave you, lead you down the path that you're on. And that's what's driving you to sin. See, the reason we sin is because we're hurting and we're looking to sin to numb our pain, particularly with the addictive sins. I think we're looking at that to numb our pain. The reason we sin is because we're disappointed by something and we're looking at sin to drown our pain. 
And by the way, for some of people who are in that category of wanting to numb the pain, even the pain of knowing that you sinned, because there's always guilt after you come out of a season of sin, that pain might even feel like some form of, well, I deserve it. Because now you feel double guilty, first about what caused you to sin, second about the sin itself. And, and so that pain, it reminds me sometimes, the, the, sin that, the pain that we get from sin reminds me of people who cut, you know, the high schoolers. Uh, it's a very common thing now, people cut in order to, uh, like we, we always associate it with people who are anxious or depressed, but really it's a form of hurting yourself so that the, a lot of people who have cut will say, because it's then you feel that pain and it sort of feels good to feel actual pain as opposed to all the pain in your life that is sort of bad, but you cannot touch it in a sense. And so it's like one pain rules out the other in a sense. And I know it sounds kind of like hard and complicated to understand, but not that complicated to understand. And, and, and I think sometimes it feels good to feel bad about something because you really feel bad about something else. I guess that's the easiest way for me to say it. And so be careful if you're in that place. You don't need to feel bad about sin in order to feel, you know, to feel less bad about something else. God wants to heal all of it. He wants to heal your sin. He wants to heal your other past bad. And there's people to help you. I mean, you might, maybe you're a, a, a homeless church person right now. You're a believer in Christ, but you're not part of a church. And I think a lot of people who might be wrestling with a lot of these questions probably want to be healed, but aren't in a situation in a church. Or maybe you've lost trust of pastors and churches. And so you don't know where to go to for help. Listen, this is why we're doing the bread and butter series, because these are issues that need to be addressed. Uh, you know, we're here to help disciple you, but ultimately, you know, only you can find the resources to help you. We're here to pray for you. If you are connecting with anything that I'm saying, please email me if you need prayer, if you need help. I know many people in the Chicago area who can come alongside you in a more formal counseling relationship um, so we can help with that. And so the reason we sin, lastly, on on point number two, which is uh, you need to be honest about the reason you sin. The reason we sin is because sin has proven to be a safe hiding place for the painful places in your life. That's, that's I guess, a good summary uh, that I wrote down about this, and I think it's worth saying again. The reason we sin is because, that, uh, because sin has proven to be a safe hiding place for the painful places in my life. Uh, you can rely on your sin. It's always going to be there for you. It's going to make you feel better in the short run. And for some of us, and for some of you listening, you might be like, yeah, I connect with that because while I know sin is bad, at least in those moments, I can find some relief. And uh, that is not um, is not a good place to live. In fact, I would say uh, God does, longs to get you out of that place and died in order to get us out of that place. There is a place of joy and rest and it is in the presence of Christ. So let's get to the third uh, point, which I think is the tipping point here. Why can't I overcome sin in my life? Number one, because I don't really want to. Number two, because I have yet to be honest about the reason I sin. And number three, I cannot overcome the sin in my life because I'm afraid of what happens if I totally yield myself to God. I'm afraid of what happens if I totally yield myself to God. Most of us are afraid of that lifestyle, of giving yourself fully to God. We think that if I say yes to God, he might still not give me what I want. Okay, think about that, please. This is critical. We worry, I, I've been there. I've hung on to sin with this. And, and as a single person, I think I could speak to that. We worry that even if I say yes to God, he's not going to give me the thing that I want. And the older I get, the things that I thought I wanted that I might still want haven't happened in my life. So it's easy to get caught up in this notion of, well, look, I gave my life to God and he still didn't fill in the blank, grant a husband or kids or whatever it is that you desperately want. And so it's almost like you're punishing God, but really you're punishing yourself and choosing to sin. But but there is a warped way of thinking about that. If I say yes to God, he might still not give me what I want. And the truth is, 
you don't say yes to God in order to get what you want, but but I can appreciate that sentiment. And I, I think we need to challenge that kind of thinking because I think it's false thinking and I think it's thinking that will keep you stuck. We have to surrender the truth to the truth that Jesus is enough. We've got to surrender to that truth. Even if you don't feel it, there has to be a mental acknowledgement and a willful bending of the knee to the notion that Jesus is enough. He, listen, he is enough. And, 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 and I think only as we step into this surrender will we experience him being enough. Many of us want him to prove himself to be enough before we surrender. We want him to act first. Well, he has acted first. He died for us on the cross. But now there has to be a step of obedience and of trust. And, uh, and he will give you what is best, maybe even if it's not what you think you want right now. And so Jesus is the superior pleasure that will, that will outdo the pleasure of sin that you're experiencing for a season. Uh, I love the verse in Hebrews. By the way, Moses understood it. It took him 40 years in the wilderness to understand it, but he understood it because in Hebrews 11, we're told that uh, Moses, when he was growing up, well, it says, by faith, Moses, Hebrews 11, 24, by faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season is another version's way of saying it. It's, it, I, mean, I mean, think about that. Moses could have had everything. And he said no to it because he knew that there was a better way. And he did not live an easy life. The 40 years in the wilderness with the people of Israel had their downs, maybe more than they had their ups. But he was on the way to, to the truth, to the promised land. And he had the presence of God with him. And I would say most of us would acknowledge that the life Moses lived was above and beyond what anyone could ask or imagine. Even with all of its difficulties and frustrations and challenges with the people in his life. But that's tough, man, when you're in it. So here's another uh, thought about um, what happens when you yield yourself totally to God. If I say yes to God, one of our fears is that I'll miss out on what feels good right now. And listen, you might miss out on this temporary pleasure, but you'll get this eternal pleasure of soul. But more than that, a freedom and of joy that no one can stand against. There is a freedom that comes from living in openness and obedience and holiness with the Lord, the presence of God in your life that surpasses any kind of other joy that you might experience or happiness that you might experience in the short run. Uh, try God in that. Try to make him the center of your attention. Ask him to be your superior pleasure. And the more you learn to enjoy him, the less you will want to feel good about that sinful habit or practice that you're in. If I say yes to God, here's a Another thing, um, we say, I have no guarantee of a happily ever after. Oh, how wrong you are if you think that. Our only happily ever after is the presence of Christ with us forever. And we have that by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for us. We talked about, how can I tell if I'm really saved in the last episode? Well, go back and listen to it again. If you have Jesus, you have everything. And so I think really the question is, is how do we make Jesus our superior pleasure? What are some practices in our life that we can instill to do that. Well, listen, don't go away too long because next week we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the spiritual disciplines. But for today, we're going to end. If you're struggling with sin and need help, uh, maybe if you've never shared it with anyone and you, it's time to tell the truth, listen, a good place to start is by emailing us. We'll point you to the right places. Uh, we'll try to help you if we can. But more than that, know that even if you never email us, we're praying for you. God, I, I haven't regularly prayed at the end of the podcast, but I have in this season because there is a need for us to acknowledge that we cannot do these things that we're talking about without you. So I pray for the, anyone who is battling with sin today, that you'd help them to experience the freedom of Christ and the joy of knowing you. God, help us to see the beauty of your presence 
and the pleasure that a relationship with you can offer help us to experience it so deeply that no amount of sin can come close to satisfying us like you can. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Hey, I'm praying for you as we leave each other. If you'd like to find out more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. I will be back next week with another Dear Lena episode. Hey, share these episodes with your friends. Uh, write a, a, a little notation, what do you call them? A, a little heads up, shout out on, on iTunes and come back next week. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your day and join us on Thursday nights where I teach live on our Facebook community page. In order to access it, go to livingpower.org. Top of the page, it says join our community. Click on it and it'll tell you how to get there. I'm teaching through the book of Hebrews. I'd love to have you with us tonight. Talk to you later.